This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. Hello and welcome to episode two in a series of podcasts about landed estates and historic properties. This second episode is going to form its own sub-series of three podcasts which are going to talk about staging outside events. My name is Naomi Nutterton and I'm a partner in the real estate team at Charles Russell Speechley's and I previously was seconded to the London Olympics focusing on events agreements. I now advise a range of clients across the firm, particularly landed estates, on helping them to deal with staging outside events. I'm pleased to say that today I am joined by Simon Foster, a director at Savills, who heads up the Tourism, Leisure and Defence Department. In his previous guise, Simon was the manager of Eastnall Castle for 15 years and managed events such as the Big Chill Music Festival and the Land Rover World. Good afternoon, Simon. Hi, Naomi. So the first thing I want to just touch on is I think we've had an increase in inquiries and I've been helping more, more of our estates to deal with staging outside events. And it appears that some of these sort of activities are becoming more popular. Do you agree with that, Simon? I think in general terms, Naomi, yes. I mean, the, the market was very strong before we went into COVID. We were doing lots of advisory work for clients around outdoor events and indeed helping event promoters to place them on rural estates. So the appetite was there very strongly. But of course, since COVID started, it's been a very difficult market and very few events have taken place this summer, although we're starting to see a few re-emerge on a socially distanced basis. Yes, and part of what we'll be doing in the rest of the series is to touch on some of the measures and, and legal issues that, that come across the states in dealing with those. Do you think the increase in commercialisation is partly to do with the next generations taking over and a move away from families being merely stewards of some of these landed estates during their lifetimes, but actually having to make them work? And do you think the next generation will actually look to increase the number of events they're doing, albeit that COVID's put a play to that? And in that increasing, what, what, what would you advise the clients that you talk to? What are the most important things that they really should be thinking about if they're going to increase the number of events that they're going to be doing? Well, I mean, to answer the first part of your question, I think most definitely, I think there's a real sea change taking place at the moment. And we're seeing a new generation of owners coming along. They've come back from careers in London and big cities where they've worked in finance or in, in media. They tend to be very entrepreneurial and ambitious and are not afraid of taking risks. So the, the whole sort of diversification movement has really gathered a lot of pace in the last couple of years. And we're seeing more and more younger owners who are wanting to uh, host events like this. And in terms of the sorts of advice we're giving them, I think particularly with outdoor events, less so with some of the other enterprises, we tend to advise clients to, to adopt a sort of arm's length approach with third party promoters, rather than taking the risk themselves which can be, you know, a huge cost and a huge input in terms of time and therefore very risky. I actually strongly agree with that. And I think there's there's definitely a, you can learn a lot of both sides and, and you shouldn't be afraid to call upon the expertise of those who've done this many times before. And we certainly saw the benefit of that with, with the Olympics. And there were some venues that we dealt with, which were really sophisticated and knew their venue really, really well. And it wasn't for us to tell them how to do that. But there were others that we went to who'd never done what we were going to do in their space before. And we really had to guide them through. So I think it can work both well. But I definitely agree with the idea of getting an event organiser in and calling upon their expertise. For what it's worth, I think one of the things I learned 
in this and it, and it plays on some of the things we were just touching upon is that in all cases really communication is key and both sides need to play on their strengths because obviously you've talked about importing a, an event organizer to, to manage the events on the ground and deal with the mechanics and organization which they're great at but I do think there's also the point that the estate have to help them because they're the ones that know the buildings and the land itself and, and hopefully you'd agree that there are elements particularly in historic buildings and, and the historic parklands, which people learn over years and years and years, and, and they shouldn't be afraid to air those skills and, and try and use those, because that's why the event's going to that place, because it is so unique and wonderful. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I, I always think of it as a partnership, really. And, you know, it's it's not the case that you just host an event in your park and you let the promoter get on with it. They're looking for a landowner, a client who can be really actively involved. And, you know, I always say to my clients, you know, you need to take quite a pragmatic view in the early stages of a relationship with an event promoter and bend over backwards to help them settle them in because as you say you know it's the it's the landowner who knows the site better than anybody and building that relationship in the early first and second year really helps to develop that relationship and ensure that the event stays there for many many years so yeah although it's an arm's length arrangement financially i think the relationship between promoter and landowner is really really important and in my experience when promoters go and look at venues it's as much about the relationship with the landowner and the team on the ground as it is about the merits of the site itself. Yeah, I know that's that's definitely true. Um, I like the point that you've just touched upon there, that actually in all cases, and, and we think about this whilst drafting the agreements and you think about this from an estate management perspective, these are quite unlikely to be single-use contracts or single-use arrangements. And, and you're right to touch on the fact that if you can make this work, it becomes an annual event and more and more people are attracted to that. It gets a reputation and, and it can find its way through as a repeat episode, as it were, which is great. So I think in terms of about the communication, there are the three stages, aren't there? There's the kind of building, the planning, the setting up, there's the event itself, which actually can be quite intense. But then we all mustn't forget the kind of follow through and, and learning from that and taking that forward for the next time, because it's quite easy once the lights are off and everyone's gone to think, yeah. we're done. But, yeah. but some of that know-how can be really useful. Do you, do you think, and part of your role in, in being a Savills advisor rather than necessarily in-house is to share that knowledge? And, and do you think that you manage to do that? How do you collate post-event knowledge and that? And how do you think events are open to sharing that with, with other landed estates? Uh, definitely. I mean, I, you know, people like me are there to advise clients because we've got the experience, we've done it. But there's a fantastic network and the Historic Houses Group, which you'll be familiar with, is a great organisation where owners will speak to fellow owners, managers will speak to fellow managers, and they'll share ideas, they'll share experiences and, and learn from each other. So yes, it's helpful to have direct input from professionals like us because, you know, we know the nitty gritty, but actually, you know, that, that sort of peer network amongst owners and managers is also extremely important. And you, you make a good point about communication. I think the other thing I'd say about communication, it's as much about communication with other stakeholders at the early stage, which is, I think, critical. So, of course, the promoters got to speak to the, you know, the statutory authorities, the highways, the police, the council for licensing, but also needs to engage with residents, tenants, staff on the estate and the wider community, the parish council and so on. So communication from both sides, both from the landowner and the promoter, is absolutely key from the word go. 
Yeah, that, that leads really nicely actually onto something else that, that I've come across and that you have to think about and the other stakeholders in an estate and, and this draws on what we've been talking about, which is the next generation of the land of the estate is going to be more commercial. And I'm very conscious that where you've got an event, you've probably got people selling food, but that estate may itself have its own cafe and a building and it's how you manage the integration of an event selling food with somebody who's already there selling food and and what and from a legal perspective they've got a contract but it's also that communication to not put their nose out of joint but to make sure that everybody all the stakeholders involved from the event organizer side and from the landed estate side both make the most and get the best out of the event and the commercialization that comes from that and that kind of I suppose catering aspect is quite important and the crossover that has to be really well managed. Yeah, I think in my experience with the outdoor events, the catering as part of that event tends to be managed, you know, by the event promoter rather than the venue. Although, you know, bigger states like Goodwood and Ragley, you know, have got very good at catering at the big outdoor events. But generally speaking, it tends to be managed by the third party promoter. And of course, he he or she will have to adhere to very strict guidelines and, and regulations from environmental health in terms of who they have on site and what kinds of certification they have. So, you know, that's a a really important point. But I I think the point you were making prior to that is also around branding a bit as well, isn't it? So ensuring that, you know, that those events that you do accommodate on on your estate fit in terms of the overall strategy of developing, you know, a cafe enterprise, a weddings business, a day visitor enterprise, holiday cottages. You know, it's got to feel like it's part of the brand, of the estate brand. And I think that's really important. And so you need to think very carefully every time you get event an event inquiry, whether it's the right sort of event for you as an estate and for the wider community. Yeah, I really strongly agree with that. And and then we used to have a phrase at Zocog, which was called look and feel. And that's really what it says. <laughs> it is look and feel. And you're right, there, there are estates that now have a brand because of the food they sell. You know, Chatsworth is an example. I've, I myself have been to their farm restaurant and they wouldn't want an event where the food being sold didn't sit with that because they spent many years now building up that image and that brand is more than just the ip and the trademark and the writing it's the whole picture you've got to fit the event with the space you couldn't get more so than the likes of badminton i've been reading about princess Anne's birthday and and it has some lovely photos of her from very early badmintons and it's sort of been part of my whole life that badminton estate has been a three-day eventing venue I can't imagine one without the other really so they've become part of each other and I'm sure that's the most successful event isn't it that one that reflects the venue so much that it becomes part of that landed estate and part of its story. I think absolutely another good example of that of course is Festival of Speed or Revival at Goodwood you know those two events have really helped to put Goodwood on the map internationally and nationally you know it's so such an important part of its DNA so yeah I mean that's such an important consideration really is doing something that is right for the estate and Charles March at Goodwood started the Festival of Speed because he had a passion for cars his father had had a passion for horses but he was more interested in you know four-wheel vehicles and you know he started with a very modest hill climb which costs you know a few thousand pounds to put on and it's now the biggest motor racing event or motoring event in the UK because it fits because it's something that they have a genuine interest in a passion for and that's why it's been so successful. 
I have been on one of the Land Rover experiences at East Law and, and I think it'd be interesting for just to share potentially a couple of insights into that as well because I think that brand has built and actually I think it draws people who wouldn't necessarily know it was there because when you buy your new Range Rover you get the pack that says oh come and drive one around East Law Castle. Were there any particular insights or interesting things that happened through the life of that? Well, it was an interesting story because it started as something really modest at Eastnor 60 years ago when they came to just test a gearbox in some woods on a, on a sort of woodland track. And it grew out of that into this very big off-roading enterprise, and which sort of culminated in them building a experience centre, where, as you say, if you've got a Land Rover, you get a token, you, you can come and drive your vehicle and learn how it works off-road rather than on-road. So it was very exciting to be part of that, to see it grow over the 15 years or so that I was at Eastnor. And of course, for the estate, you know, it was a fantastic piece of business. Not only was the estate being used in such a, an appropriate way for off-road driving, but the spin-offs from that were fantastic. You know, the castle became the venue for sort of high-profile press entertaining, royal visits, dealer days. So, you know, it was all part of a, a much bigger package, if you like, where it wasn't just people sitting in in, in Land Rovers and driving on muddy tracks, you know, the, 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 they could come and stay at the castle. They had dinner in the castle. So it was a great, great collaboration, really, between an estate and a major motoring brand. So I think as we, we wind up our, our session, and Simon, thank you again. It's been really, really interesting to get your insight into this and to share some of our experiences. I think we've both strongly found over the years that both sets of the story have their own skills, the event organisers and, and Land Estate shouldn't be afraid. In fact, we would probably encourage them to get proper grown-up events teams to come and, and do these events because they bring with them a huge set of skills and knowledge and understanding and just experience from doing this stuff over and over again. But also the people at the Land Estate themselves and those that have knowledge of that land, the grass, the type of grass, the, the soil, the buildings, again, have a, a wealth of knowledge which you can't get by anyone else but those people who've worked with that so the combination is the magic formula and and you can't necessarily write all that down and plan for all of that it's a matter of communication and osmosis and sharing and for some events by doing that and by replaying those stories you can really grow on that and it can become a series of events so that's been really good to, to share and thank you again for joining us that's probably it for today. So if you would like to hear more or have any questions, please do feel free to contact myself, Naomi Nesselton at Charles Russell Speechley's or Simon Foster at Savills. Thank you very much. This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. 